have a little bit of change of pace in our message. I'm not going to dwell on all the recent political upheavals and goings-on that, that have sort of grabbed our attention and, and depressed us and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to be talking about virus news or anything of that sort uh, this morning. But I'm going to talk about something else that I think is important for, for our, our church to understand, our congregation to understand. It's a subject that I rarely talk about. As a matter of fact, in the 20 plus years that I've been here, I'm thinking this is either the third or the fourth time that I've preached on giving, offerings, tithing, and the doctrine uh, that, that our church's doctrinal position on that. So I know that I can see as I look out across the congregation, people go, oh no, here we go. And you sort of sit down on your billfold and you think, oh, boy, I'm glad I forgot my checkbook this morning. Well, the good thing about it is, is I wait until after the offering to preach this. And so that kind of gives you a, an idea. But the bottom line, if you don't get anything out, else out of this, serv- this sermon, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, pretty much sums up this church's position on offering, giving, and tithing. As a matter of fact, you'll never hear us refer to it as tithing because tithing in this present dispensation, the grace of God, is unbiblical. It's not scriptural. We can't do it, but we do encourage giving, but more than we encourage giving. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14 is our position. Paul told, tells the church there in Corinth, Behold, the third time I am ready to come unto you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. See, that's the attitude. It's not what you have. It's not how much you own. It's not how much you're able to give. But it's you the Lord wants. See, he knows once he has you, then everything else is going to follow suit. One of the things that I made it a policy of years ago, I mean a long time ago, is that, and you'll be glad to hear this, I actually have nothing to do with the finances or the money in this church. I I don't have any idea who gives or who does not give. I've made it a policy never to know how much any person gives uh, in the offering plate. I don't want to know. I know my flesh. I know, you know, if you know that somebody gives, what you're going to do is you, you, you kind, of, kind of favor that person. Is that the way human nature kind of takes you? Oh, I don't want to do that. So I have made a policy when Marge was the treasurer, Marge, don't tell me. When Burl was the treasurer, Burl, don't tell me. When Patty is the treasurer, Patty, I don't want to know. People will give me envelopes sometime. They'll forget to put it in the plate. And as they're leaving out the door, they'll hand it to me. I want you to know I never open it. I never look at it. And I'll give it to whoever the treasurer is. Or I'll put it back here in their uh, mail slot. But I do not want to know because I want this to be the type of church that seeks not yours but you. We want you to know that our heart's desire is to see you serving 
the Lord Jesus Christ. This church is not about money. We trust God. See, we believe Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. We believe that. The last thing we ever worry about are finances. I've had some treasures in the past, or people in the past tell me, you really do need to worry about it. No, I'm not going to do it. God's Word tells us in the same chapter of Philippians that we're to be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and thanksgiving, you make your request known unto God. And so that's what we do here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship. Several years ago, there was a guy by the name of Francis Schaeffer. You ever heard of Francis Schaeffer? He was a great uh, Christian apologist. Uh, he wrote a book back in 1976. I remember when it came out. Uh, I, I, I couldn't believe it's been that long ago. I, I'm, I'm just getting old because it seems like it was just yesterday. Uh, he wrote a book called How, How Should We Then Live? Anybody remember that book? How Should We Then Live? Well, this morning I want us to talk about how shall we then give? Because I think the scriptures are very clear, very precise, what our doctrinal position, how we as a congregation should approach giving. And I, I think it's appropriate this morning. First of all, I just got tired of, of the, the politics and all of the stuff that was going on. And as I started praying about this and, and saying, Lord, what, what am I to bring this Sunday? I really feel led of the Lord to, to share this. We have so many new people here that really don't know what our position is. And so hopefully by the end of this sermon, you're, you're going to know. Uh, plus, it's almost time for us to uh, redo our annual church budget. That's going to be coming up uh, here in, a, in a, a month or two. So it's just time now to, to revisit uh, that topic. So that's what we're going to, uh, to be doing this morning. But I want you to know this before we get into it. Jesus Christ is coming again. And my hope and prayer is that every one of you are ready to face him. That every person here knows the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you don't, do me a favor, do yourself a favor, don't wait until the end of this message. By faith, God's invitation to you is that you put your trust, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing you have to do. It's already been done. The debt's already been paid. All you need to do, according to the Scripture, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What you believe is important, but you believe that he died for you, that he was buried for you, and that he rose again. So I'd, I'm so certain that the Lord is about to, to appear, that the rapture of the church is about to take place, that we're living in the last days of this present dispensation. I am, I am so confident in that that I don't want to wait till the end of this message to tell you you need to get saved if you've never been saved. You need to know Christ, that He and He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him, that He and He alone is the way to heaven. He paid the debt that you owed. Amen? And we trust Him. So this morning as we talk about giving, I want you to understand that this is not a message that you cringe over, that you kind of tighten up over. I want you to hear me out. 
But we firmly, we firmly believe here that there is a correct biblical view on this topic. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of false teaching. And I think it hurts the church's testimony because there's so many ministers, so many pastors, so many churches, so many televangelists, so many people out there who make money the number one topic. And here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, it is so far down the list of priorities that I'm not even sure it's on the list. Because, see, we have a faithful God. It doesn't need to be on the list. We trust Him. And, and guess what? You're, this may surprise you, but then again, it may not. God has always been faithful. God has always been faithful. There's never been a bill. There's never been... Uh, an issue that has come up that God has not faithfully supplied exactly what we need. He's done it that way in the past, and guess what? He's going to do it that way in the future. And folks, when I say He meets all of our need according to His riches and glory, that's not just financial. He definitely met our spiritual need through Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross. Amen? But regardless of what you're dealing with, you're going through, He meets your emotional need. He meets your physical needs. He meets your spiritual needs. He meets your financial needs. That's the faithful God He is. So we want to talk about what our attitude should be in this present dispensation of grace as we rightly divide the Word and see why it's important. And it is important that we give in, in order for this local church to function it's important that, that our people give in order for us to aggressively and effectively minister the members of this congregation, the, those that are part of this congregation, uh, they need to contribute. But it's also part of our worship. Just as the singing is part of our worship and the preaching is part of our worship, even our offering is part of our worship. And God instructs us how to give. He wants us to give hilariously. He wants us to give cheerfully. He wants us to give with excitement, knowing that the, the funds that we supply are not going to be squandered. They're not going to be misused, but they are going to be used for the glory of God and to further the gospel preaching. And that should cause us to, to rejoice. Now, I know some pastors feel that they have a, a biblical mandate to lambast folks over the head with uh, whip congregation into, into compliance that you've got to tithe, you've got to tithe. If you don't tithe, you are stealing from God. Uh, but what's interesting about that, and as soon as we say something like that, there are several scriptures that need to come to our attention. As soon as we, we talk about, because uh, the Bible does say that if, if you're not tithing, in Malachi chapter 3, if you're not tithing, what are you doing? You're stealing from God. But then again, there's another place in the scripture where it says, let every man give as he purposes in his own heart, not out of necessity, not grudgingly, for God what? He loves a cheerful giver. So which is it? If you're not tithing your 10%, are you stealing from God? Or as God's words say, let every man give as he purposes in his own heart. Well, under the law, 
if you weren't tithing, you were stealing from God. Under grace, oh, marvelous, wonderful, glorious grace. Let every man give as he purposes in his own heart, not out of necessity. And again, that, those scriptures indicate, show us that why it's important that we rightly divide the word of truth, that we understand the difference between God's program for Israel and God's program for the church, the body of Christ, which we're part of, part of at this point. As we look at these scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 1, for it's touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. Paul is telling this church in Corinth, you know, there's really no need for me to write to you. Why was it superfluous? Because they knew that there was a need. They already knew it was something they should do. Paul was writing to this church in Corinth, you don't need for me to write to you and tell you that you need to take up a collection. They already knew that that was something they should do. They needed to, uh, they understood that there were needs, there were obligations, there were expenses that need to be to be met. And so Paul says, there's no need for me to write. It's superfluous that I write to you concerning the ministering to the saints. Now this collection that he was taking up, and it's very interesting, this collection that Paul was taking up from this church in Corinth was a collection that was going to go to the poor saints, where? In Jerusalem. To the poor saints in Jerusalem. Now, why were there poor saints in Jerusalem? Why, it was just not that long ago that Christ had told those saints in Jerusalem before he died on the cross, before he was buried, before he rose again, before he ascended. In Matthew chapter 6, look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, let's start with verse 25. All, all of Matthew 6 is, is important, but Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Draw uh, down to verse 28. And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Verse 30, he says, though, that remnant, that little flock, oh, ye of little faith. Verse 31, therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, the saints in Jerusalem, those kingdom saints, 
Those saints who were expecting the kingdom, they had believed that Christ was the Messiah. They were expecting Christ to return and to set up his kingdom. And they were doing, they had done exactly what Christ had told them to do in Luke chapter 12, verse 33. What had Christ told them to do? Kind of explains to you why they were poor in Jerusalem. Sell what you have, give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fails not, where no thief approach, neither moth corrupts. So sell everything that you have and give alms. So what did they do? They sold everything they had expecting the kingdom of heaven to be established. John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ Jesus, the Lord of all, came telling the people to do what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. The kingdom of heaven was, it was about to take place. When Peter came and started preaching on the day of Pentecost, the whole theme there was for them to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins, preparing them to become that nation of priests, preparing them for that tribulation period that was about to uh, commence, according to prophecy, and then the kingdom was going to come after that. That was all in preparation for that. Sell everything you had, and guess what they did early in Acts? Look at Acts chapter 4. Just want to make sure you understand why there were poor in Jerusalem. And the reason they were poor in Jerusalem is because they had followed the kingdom plan precisely. They had done exactly what they were supposed to do concerning the kingdom of heaven on earth. Remember Christ had taught the disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They were preparing for that kingdom to be established on earth but something was put in abeyance something changed God never changes he's the same yesterday today and forever but his program changed Christ came into his own his own received him not Christ came into his own and they said we'll not have this man to reign over us and according to prophecy the tribulation should have started. God's wrath was going to fall during that tribulation period. But what fell instead was God's amazing grace as he revealed a program, a plan that had been hid in him from before the foundation of the world. What, he, what God himself had planned to do through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection to offer salvation to whosoever believes. And basically, Paul telling the church in Corinth to take up a collection to take to the poor saints in Jerusalem, it was the reverse of what was supposed to take place. You understand that? According to God's prophetic program concerning Israel, Israel was to be a blessing to the Gentiles, right? Here we have the Gentiles being a blessing to the Jews, to the nation of Israel. It shows you that something has transpired. There has been a change in God's prophetic program. But uh, Luke 12, verse 33, sell what you have. Look at Acts chapter 4. So did they do that? Did they do that? Look at Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 32, Tim. Acts 4, 32. 
And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessions of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold and they laid them at the apostles' feet. They did this scripturally correctly in obedience to what Christ had told them to do because they were under a different program. The mystery was still hidden in God, not revealed to the apostle of the Gentiles who's going to tell us something totally different under this program concerning our giving. Under the law, tithing was absolutely mandatory. And Malachi 3, we're going to look at that in a second, you were stealing from God if you did not give. But under this present dispensation, God's revelation to the Apostle Paul, to the church in, in Corinth, is that uh, let every man give as he purposes in his own heart. Not out of necessity, not grudge. So how can I get up here and tell you, you better give? That's, that's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit that moves on our lives and tells us. But anyway, look at the, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and part of them to all men as every man had need. See, they were preparing for that kingdom program. So all of a sudden we have poor saints in Jerusalem because they had nothing. They had sold everything they had. They were in preparation for the kingdom to be established. But the kingdom was not going to happen. It's going to one day. Christ Jesus is going to sit on his throne. He's going to rule from Jerusalem. All the promises, all the prophecies related to the kingdom on earth with Christ sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning are going to happen. But look at Malachi. Chapter 3. Start with verse 8. Well, let's start with verse 7. Verse 6. This is a good place to start. For I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them, return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. By the way, return unto me basically means what? Change the direction you're going, right? Is there another word for that? Repent. Change the direction you're going. What did John the Baptist come saying? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ Jesus came preaching, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles came preaching, repent. Here the Lord in Malachi says, return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? God tells them a good place to start. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. What's a tithe? Tithe was 10%. One-tenth of your possessions. One-tenth of your, of your um, produce or your income. It was required that they have, uh, they give one one-tenth. And who did they give that tenth to? I'm going to tell you why we can't tithe today where it's not biblical. Well, tithing is biblical in the Old Testament. If you were one of the other 11 tribes, you were to give 10% to which tribe? To Levi. The tribe of Levi was responsible for what? The priests and for the tabernacle, then the temple. The priests had no inheritance. The tribe of Levi had absolutely no inheritance in the land. They had no way to care for themselves, and the Lord set it up so that that's okay. That is not your worry. The other 11 tribes, they are to do what I tell them to do, and they are to give 10% of their possessions, their income, their produce to this tribe, Levi, you're responsible for the tabernacle, for the temple, for the orderly conduct of that worship. Levi, your entire tribe, you are to benefit from this 10%. So the tribe of Levi didn't exist, well, in the mind of God. He knows exactly who's going to fit that role in the future. But that's not the purpose of giving today. In Leviticus 27, 30 through 32, it gives expressed instructions what that's supposed to take place, what's supposed to happen. Leviticus 27, 30 through 32. And all the tithes, 10% of land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it's the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. And who was supposed to get it? And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. Look at Numbers 18. Numbers 18. See, tithing was absolutely biblical. Numbers 18, verse 20. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. Verse 21. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Verse 31. And you shall eat it in every place, ye and your households, for it is your reward for your service in the tabernacle of the congregation. Tithing had an expressed usage concerning the nation of Israel, concerning the, the tribe of Levi, and its purpose had to do with their priestly duties. And the church is not spiritual Israel. As a matter of fact, if you're going to tithe to the temple, who, the church, who's, who's the temple of God today? You are. You are. 
It's not this building. You are. So tithing under the law was absolutely required. That's why we don't speak of tithing. We're no longer under the law. Right? What are we under? Grace. Is there a difference? Oh, man. Let me tell you. Besides, there's no tabernacle. There's no temple to give to. There's certainly no tribes to give to. So there's been a change. Something, something changed. And we need to recognize that change. There was a time that I wasn't part of. I mean, I'd, years and years and years and years ago, I'd been part of, part of this church. Uh, not this but a church that I was part of. But it's a church I was very familiar with. They sent out a financial statement or a financial status questionnaire to all the families in the church. And they sent out this questionnaire primarily to all the men in, in, in the church, all the families, and they wanted to know exactly what your financial status was. And they were going to base how much money they thought that you should be giving based on 10%. And they were going to get on their computers and they were going to organize it and have their budget based on the people filling out that questionnaire. The sta your financial status. Well, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that that church just nearly split. And a lot of folks left over that. And you know what? I don't blame them. I don't blame them. Was that biblical? First of all, that will never happen here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship as long as I'm pastor. And, and second, even if I'm not pastor, the elders and the deacons of this church, they understand that is about as unscriptural as you can get in trying to determine how much money a person should have. Where they sent that financial status questionnaire out asking some personal questions, and they were going to establish their budget based on your income, your status, and then we're going to hit you up for it. Is that scriptural? Or is it scriptural that every man give as he purposes in his own heart? I know another church that they send out, you know, after people pledge, they have the pledges, and they, they'll, they'll uh, send out little coupons, sort of like what you get when you buy a house and you get those payment coupons or a new car and you have those payment coupons and as reminders um, where you, you make your payment and you, you tear it off and you send it in. Uh, a church actually had, had the pledge. People, you know, uh, people might pledge $1,000 a year to the church and so they, they'd figure out, okay, how much is that a month? Or, and they, they would send them these little print out it probably costs more to print out those things than they read but they thought they were being really organized is that scriptural no no let every man give as he purposes in his own heart and i'm going to show you that scripture in a second say pastor you keep keep quoting that scripture is it really in there yeah it is in there and it really does make a difference 
in how we approach the giving and the offerings and the expectations of this church. Because, by the way, I desire to depend upon God and Him working in your life and through your life and convicting that I am through trusting you. Does that make sense? No offense, because I love you dearly, and I appreciate every one of you. But the one that I trust to meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory is the one who controls His riches and glory. And by faith, I trust Him. I do, I do like personal offering envelopes. I think that's kind of cool and convenient. And uh, those in front of your pews, you can just take and stick it in. You can put your name on it, or you can just stick it You don't have to. But I, I think those are convenient. But tithing is not for this present dispensation. Those were specified duties under the law, and it was required that the priestly nation, the, 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 the priestly tribe collected those. But there are principles of giving that are applicable. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter nine again. Start with verse six. And by the way, our giving does not make God any richer. He already owns not only the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the hills. But I think our giving does enrich us. We don't make God richer. But I got to tell you, you cannot outgive God. You can try him and it, he is just so faithful, so faithful. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Lesson number one, principle number one. You sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You know, I had the great privilege, and it was a joy, and I learned so much when I pastored Cope Community Church out in Cope, Colorado. I don't know if you've ever been out on the eastern plains of Colorado, but it is flat. It is it's beautiful. I have some of the most beautiful sunsets you'll ever want to see, but the sweetest, most precious people other than here you'll ever want to meet in your life. And, you know, Faye and I were out there for years, and the main occupation out there, uh, they're ranchers and they're farmers, and a lot of dry land wheat, a lot of irrigated corn. But one of the things that I learned from those farmers, if they wanted a bountiful harvest, and they did, guess what they would do is they would drill that wheat or they'd plant that corn. They would make sure that that corn planter was set just right so that it wasn't going to be a skip and a miss. They were going to make sure that they planted uh, so that they would receive a bountiful harvest. They would be crazy if they didn't. It wouldn't be worth not planting, expecting a bountiful harvest, expecting a bountiful crop. 
and you'd see them out there and that corn planter would be dropping that corn they would make sure they would be planting in order to receive a bountiful harvest they knew that if they didn't do it that they wouldn't reap what they needed to reap so they made sure of that planting and that harvest that the harvest was in direct proportion to the planting that's what God's word says here do you trust God's word he would sow sparingly, shall reap sparingly. The whole context here is with the church in Corinth giving. And he's making sure that they understand that. So the number one principle is if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. Lesson learned? Does that just make sense? That's not, that's not your preacher saying that. It's the God of all creation that's saying that. And we, we can trust Him just as surely as we trust Him to meet all of our need according to His riches and glory. We can trust Him and trust His Word. I remember J.C. Penney um, who owned J.C. Penney got to be so filthy rich because he gave, well, I don't know about filthy, he's a nice guy, he was a believer, gave 90% of his income to the Lord and he kept 10%. He just flipped it. I guess I'm too chicken to try that, but he did. And I can tell you that it, that it worked. Because you can't outgive God. So principle one, you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you're going to reap also bountifully. Look at point seven. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, there's that scripture I told you I was going to share it. So let him give, not grudgingly. The word grudgingly there means uh, giving out of grief or pain. God doesn't want you to give out of grief or pain. I've heard preachers say, you give until it hurts. That's not what God's Word says. That's not what God's Word says. Somebody says, what kind of preacher are you? Well, biblical, biblical. That's the kind of preacher I desire to be. Is biblical. Let every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Which is it? You're stealing from God if you don't give 10%? Or as, you, as the scripture says here, not grudgingly or out of necessity. One of those is true. One of them's not. No, they're both true. They're just for two different dispensations, two different times under two different programs. And that's the importance that we understand, rightly dividing the word of truth so we know what is our marching orders for, for today. Let every man give. 
God sets no demands on the amount. It is between you and God. But let me tell you this. If under the law it was 10%, how much more under grace? Sometimes I get an amen. How much more under grace? When, I don't know if I ought to tell this. It's almost out of time. But when Faye and I were in college, we had a friend who uh, they loved to give an offering. And it seemed like every Sunday they were borrowing from us to give the offering. That's not the same thing, folks. And to my knowledge, they never paid back, did they? Yeah. But there, there were people, she, he, uh, they, they wanted to give. They wanted to make a show of giving. They were embarrassed that they weren't giving. So they would go and, to me, it would have been more embarrassing saying, hey, can, can I borrow five bucks from you to put in the plate? But that's not true giving. If, and, and by the way, that's one of the reasons why we've sort of been dragging our feet um, and getting up the give button on our website. And we've had people ask, well, why don't you put that give button up so we can just go to the website and we can give to your church through the website. Um, I, I have a problem with going into debt to give to the church. I have a problem using credit cards to give of your offering and, and, and your gifts to the church. I, I just have a problem with that. Um, going in debt to give, now, and I'm not Dave Ramsey or anything like that, but I just have an issue with that. And it, some people can say, well, I'm going to pay it off at the end, and it's convenient for me. I understand that. But not everybody can do that. And so if you want to know one of the reasons why we've just sort of been dragging our feet, that, that's the reason. It's because I just have an issue with people going into debt and, and charging their offerings. But anyway, that's, that's, just, that's just me. God loves a cheerful giver. Not out, of, not out of necessity, not grudgingly. It should be something we do joyously, exciting, thrilled to give, knowing that they are investing in the ministry as we minister the word of reconciliation. We're spreading the gospel. Cheerful. That's the proper attitude for giving today. That's why you will never have me stand up here and say, give until it hurts. You'll never hear me say, bring that basket back in here. And, and I know of churches that do that, by the way. Everybody, every, any of you ever been in a church that they take up the collection and the treasurer would come back in and the preacher would get the signal? Oh, wait a minute, folks. We got to do that one more time. That'll never happen here. I don't think that is godly. We literally had a group from another church come here and I met with them right over there. This is kind of a sad story. And I know our time's up, but I, I had a church where they pounded, 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 tithe, 10%, 10%. If you don't give, you're, we're going we're gonna to take it out of you one way or the other. And they would take up three or four offerings 
during a church service because they didn't think that offering was enough. And, they, and a bunch of the people came and wanted to meet with me about how we do it. And I shared with them, and they went, oh, that is so much relief. We want to start going there. But that other church, their pastor and some of their elders got wind that they had done that. And boy, they were angry. And they, I, I, I don't know why, but they, okay, okay, we're coming back, we're coming back. And so they never did come here. It's almost like being under bondage and you enjoy being under bondage and you're abused and you enjoy that being abused. I don't know what it was, but there are churches out there that do that. And I know some of you are going, boy, we're in the right church then. Yes, you are. Yes, you really are in the right church. God loves a cheerful giver when you understand that he, he owns 100%. God's word is very clear. 1 Corinthians 16, and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, provides guidelines for us giving today. And aren't you, I preach this message about every 10 years, so you won't have to sit through it again for another 10 years, but it is important. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. We'll start with verse 1. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whosoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. What that scripture tells us is God's plan on giving is to be regular. It's going to be systematic when you come together. And it's to be proportionate as God has prospered you. As God has prospered you. You say, Pastor, I can't give that much. As God has prospered you. That's what God expects. As he's prospered you, and he wants you to do it cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, I said one more, script, one more. verse 8, I think is the key verse. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That's the promise of God, and we trust that. And he's going to supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. You can trust him to do that. The most important need God has met in your life is your need to be reconciled to him. And that's through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. By faith, you trust him. Amen. Do what? That's free. And that is, doesn't cost us anything. But brother, it cost him. It cost him. The work has been done on Calvary's cross. For the gift of God is eternal life. A gift is, it's like Pat said, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. But it cost him everything. Let's thank him for that. Father, we come before you this morning. And how thankful we are. 
that you've met our spiritual need through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all and we come worshiping you, bowing down before you, desiring to be a biblical church. Father, desiring to be a church that preaches a gospel, desiring to be a church that stands on your word, that believes your word, that preaches your word. Father, it is not our heart's desire to be those that hold to the tradition of men in error, but Father, we want to apply your word. Father, we trust you. Father, it is your faithfulness that we embrace and we praise your name for. Now, Father, I do pray right now that if there's anyone here this morning that has never trusted you as Savior, Father, they'll realize that there is a hell to avoid and there is a heaven to gain. But it doesn't cost them anything. And Father, by faith, May they trust Christ Jesus. Now, Father, as we leave this building today, may we ever be mindful of our ministry, of our calling to be your ambassadors. We pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.